Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Shotgun snap. Murray from his end zone. Looking. Pumps in trouble, gets hit, throws the ball forward, and it's picked off, and it's a touchdown. The underhand threw the ball. David Long picks it off, walks in for a touchdown. What a disaster. My goodness, you can't make that mistake if you're Kyler Murray. The safety's still better than the touchdown. Wow. Wow, indeed. When did the Cardinals trade for Carson Wentz? Good morning. Seriously. That was unwarranted. Right. Wow. Yeah, it but was accurate. a shot. Or or was that the same end zone Matthew Stafford threw that crazy interception against the Tennessee Titans? Uh, maybe that, that end zone's cursed there. Uh, that was that, a bad that one. is a problem. We need we need to flag that end zone for the Super Bowl that's coming up <laughs> yeah, in just seriously. a few weeks. <laughs> right. It makes you stay do away dumb from things. that end stay zone. Away. Right. <laughs> yeah. Snap goes over Peyton Manning's shoulder in an end zone like that in a Super Bowl. You just never know what's going to happen. And in the NFL, you never know what's going to happen. We thought we would have a closely matched game. We hoped we would have an exciting back and forth contest reminiscent of the one we saw on a Monday night between these two teams late in the regular season. We didn't get it. Didn't deliver. The Rams were ready. The Cardinals were not. It was that simple. Start to finish. The Rams were ready. The Cardinals simply were not. And I kept hearing or at least remembering, because I never heard the words. I read them at a website that I think is called profootballtalk.com that Cliff Kingsbury said Kyler Murray needed to have the best game of his career. He definitely did not. And I don't think any member of the Cardinals had the best game of their career last night. It just was a total failure start to finish a complete squandering of that 10 and two record. And now the Cardinals are out and the Rams advance. And, you know, Chris, once we saw the bracket for next weekend and that we're going to have Rams or Cardinals at the Buccaneers, my first reaction was give me the Rams and the Bucks. That's yeah, a better I game. Hate I just, you know, the Cardinals, whatever magic the Cardinals had, they lost it. It, it was gone. It yeah. was gone. And the Cowboys win was the fluke down the stretch. 
they weren't ready to compete in the postseason. They shouldn't have even been in the postseason. I think there are other teams that didn't get in, like maybe the Saints if they were healthy. I hear you. Who would have put on a better show last night against the Rams and the Cardinals. Did. Well, yeah, and then you talk about, you know, I think the the fact that, you know, how good were the Cowboys? Again, we hit that yesterday a little bit. It was it was 23-7 Niners with a wide open Brandon IU going down the left sideline there to where you go, uh-oh, this, this could be blowout or uh, really become a three-score football game in a lot of ways. But, you know, either way, last night showed, like, the Cardinals, man, clueless to play off football I don't think they had any idea like what kind of intensity or what the atmosphere was going to kind of be like on the field in that football game the Rams obviously showed like wait we, we know what it's all about yeah I know Matthew Stafford hasn't been there a lot but they got a lot of guys that have got to carry over and been to the playoffs been to the Super Bowl uh so that was a butt whooping and I don't know Mike for me and, and you tell me your thought on this out of all the games this weekend and all the teams in the playoffs I just looked at I think Saturday night with Buffalo, all right, I'll take my one team in the AFC and then my one team in the NFC last night with the Rams that two teams that made me think differently about maybe how seriously they can contend to get to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl. That performance last night, and again, I know the Cardinals weren't rolling, but that was a steamroll session and dominant. And you saw confidence from Stafford. And I think you saw everything that we kind of questioned about their football team kind of come to a pinnacle in a good way to where it made me sit there question in the third quarter and go, man, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little harsh on the Rams and the trust not Matthew Stafford thing. And, man, maybe I'm forgetting that they were up 17 nothing in the first half last week against the San Francisco 49ers, who I look at as really good. So, I don't know. They did change my thought of them a little bit here now, going in the divisional round. I don't know if that happened for you. No, it did. And Cam Akers, to me, was the big reason yeah. why I uh -huh. feel differently about the team now because when he's healthy and effective and both boxes can indeed be checked, that takes some of the heat off of Matthew Stafford. I was stunned last night when I saw that he had the highest single-game passer rating for any Rams quarterback in a single game in their postseason history, besting the likes of Norm Van Brocklin and Kurt Warner with 154.5. Yeah. But he only threw the ball 17 right? times. Right? Isn't that 17 crazy? passes, yeah. 38 runs. Actually, 18 passes because OBJ had one. But... 18 total passes, 38 total runs for the Rams. That's the kind of balance they need. So you take the heat off of Stafford. Like, Stafford, I think, yeah. plays better when the heat's not on him. And they can say and whatever they want to say. When Stafford's asked about, oh, I don't feel the pressure. You know, what's he going to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm urinating down my leg as you even mentioned <laughs> yeah. the possibility right. of the pressure this weekend. He's never going to admit it. Who cares if he admits it? Our eyes show it to us. He has crumbled under pressure. He has had rough patches. So what do you do? It's not quite the full-blown Jimmy G experience because Stafford is a much better passer and a much better overall quarterback, but you take just enough off of his plate, just enough, and, and – he was a completely different quarterback than what we'd seen down the stretch. Well, I, 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 I uh, agree with you in a lot of ways. There's no doubt. I mean, again, uh, you know, the thing about Stafford is even in some of these moments where end of the regular season where we went, Oh, I question him. He still had in like the biggest moments, clutch drives where you went, okay, wait, that's a little different than like the Jimmy G angle, right? That you're talking about because you go, wait, in some of these moments, he can make some plays and throws that are, that are still special and help them win a football game. 
you know, but I agree with you in the fact that, and I said this at the end of my podcast a little yesterday, like it, this doesn't need to be the Matthew Stafford offense we saw early in the year where it's like, Hey, we got a, we got a new toy and we got to throw it 40 times a game and show everybody how cool this is. Now, you've said it a few times over the last two weeks. They just need Jared Goff plus. That's the only offense they need. They were getting to the playoffs and divisional rounds with the Jared Goff offense. It doesn't need to change a whole lot. The quarterback underneath the center changes that offense enough. And the fact that, like we saw last night, you said it, you know, not a lot of pressure on him. But within the 13 completions, game-changing, game-controlling type of completions, flip the field position, oh, two of them on the same drive, boom, we're down on the five-yard line, we're going to score a touchdown. You know, when you look at that, that's to me that what the other thing that pops out. You're right, efficient, didn't ask him to do too much, defense was smothering, we ran the football, but 13 completions for 202 yards and another big completion called back as a holding to, to Odell Beckham Jr. And I think that's where they're effective and scary because there's an explosive play element now uh, that, that will scare a defense off that play action in the run game with the style of football I think we're talking about here. Got his first playoff win after 185 NFL starts. That is a record weight. So patience, a virtue for Matthew Stafford. And it was just incredible. 17 pass attempts, the fewest he's ever had in a game that he didn't leave due to injury. So shows you, it, it, you know, it, just, it, 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 it worked out well. And, you know, I think of Jimmy G and I think of Matthew Stafford. They both have a range, but the difference is the high end of Stafford's is is much better and the low end is much better if that makes any sense yeah, Jimmy G's is more like this Stafford is more like this yeah you are going to get some dips if you overdo it with right. him but you you've got a high-end output potentially that Garoppolo can't come close to with Garoppolo the best case scenario is just run the offense as it's expected we're not we're not hoping that you make any special any out of this world throws right, just right. don't don't screw it up with Stafford it's like hey this guy can go sees the brass ring he may trip and fall on the way but uh and and yeah you have to take the Rams seriously now all that said yeah that said right as long as they can avoid going to Green Bay now and they still have to deal with Tampa Bay first who the hell knows they beat the Bucks way back in week three and last different year world yeah different world different right. time um but uh you know they, they got to get past them you got a guy with one playoff win going in to take on Tom Brady, who's got a lot more than one, something in the 30s, right? 34, 35 playoff wins. Think about that. Two seasons of regular season football just in the playoff victories that the guy has had. So we'll have a lot of time to get ready for that game. That one is going to be fun. I'm glad we got that one. That yeah, Look, let, let, let me just throw a little dirt on the six games of Super Wildcard Weekend as well. Can we put the graphic up with the scores again? I enjoyed the games, but good Lord, home field advantage is back. The home teams went five and one and, and, and it was, it was blowout city last night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, the early game four of the six games, snoozers, snoozers, two lead changes all weekend long. Pete tells me, and I saw a stat last night that 
There hasn't been a fourth quarter lead change in a postseason game since the Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl. That's crazy. In February of 2019 or 2020, it would have been back before the world turned upside down. But look, you got the 49ers game. That was a six-point game and should have been, you know, it was 16 points. And then you got the Bengals Raiders. The first one was a seven-point game. The rest of them just not. And, and I see 31-15 Bucks Eagles. It wasn't that close. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. close. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, they were sipping pina coladas late in the third quarter, just ha- hanging out. Like, they were, that game Getting was over. Right. They were just they were just working on their tan and going okay like let's just stay in a little football shape here. I mean I think you're you're you make the point the the, the cream rose to the top this weekend. You know again it was a year of underwhelming teams and coaching and sloppy play and we talked about not a lot of great teams. I think the good thing is you know we had questions about all these teams that kind of got blown out anyways and they they kind of verified our questions. You know the Eagles. We we we. Oh, can their defense really slow them down? Can their pass game carry them? Carry them up? Check. No. No. All right. You know Patriots. You know oh defense isn't as dominant. Can Mac Jones and them really keep up with that type of? Oh, okay, they can't do it. So that that issues. They all got. You know the the flaws came out. The Steelers. We know those issues. You talked about the Cardinals a lot over the last three or four weeks, limping in the playoffs, and they've lost it. Yes, they answered that question last night. At least we got the best eight. That's that's what's going to be good this weekend, and I would be shocked if we saw blowouts. You know, uh, take take over on divisional weekend. Maybe one, but out of the four games, I think we're going to have you know some really close, competitive, good football. Wait, are you calling one, or are you just saying the the odds? Yeah, just the odds. You know, you know, there's always that one, right? I'm just saying, like I never, I would have never called that the Bills would have blown out the Patriots, forty-seven to seventeen. Like, I, you know, maybe something like that happens this weekend, but I, I find it unlikely. And I think these are the teams that have showed us that we got left here, you know, that eh, they're kind of been the consistent football team for the most part of the year. The 49ers are probably the only team that doesn't really fit that mold. But I think when you get into the last half of the season conversation, you look at it and go, yeah, you know, really all these teams halfway through the year, the Bengals, we were sitting here talking and go, man, the Bengals have the least questions in the roster in the AFC North. So hopefully that'll lead to better TV this weekend. Yeah. It's Bengals at Titans. It's bills at chiefs. It's Rams at bucks and 49ers at Packers. I, look, what's the game you're I, most I, excited for just right now? Just right off the bat. Like what's, what's the one? Is it Mahomes well, and I gotta Allen, say or? our game. I like my job. Our I game. Do. Well, right. I like our. I like I, my job too. It is. It's game. a good game. Okay. But yeah. But it is a good game. Yeah. 49ers Packers. 49ers Packers. Then our game. I, I think. think so too. I, Although Bills Chiefs. I know. I can make the argument for all of them. I, right. I'm looking forward to all of them. I know. Give me all of them. They're good. Inject them all into my veins. Yes. Uh, but but yeah, it's this weekend. I. I really thought we'd have a better payoff. So hopefully divisional round weekend will make up for a wild card weekend that wasn't nearly as wild as the name would suggest. It was more like, I don't know, something other than wild card weekend. And and it's even super wild card weekend. We have to drop the super. It's more like restrained card weekend, I think. <laughs> uh, predictable card weekend. I don't know. But uh, the Cardinals had a lot to do with what happened last night. And look, I, I want to say this before we get into it. Kyler Murray was was just not not good. Oh, my gosh. Um, and a lot, let's hear from Cliff Kingsbury and J.J. Yeah, Watt on the Cardinals wrapping up a season that started 10-2 and two and disintegrated into 1-5 and five down the stretch. Yeah, we just got to keep keep looking at it keep trying to uh 
find new ways to improve later on in the season. Um, whatever that may be, uh, that's that's definitely a, a priority this offseason. It was a massive failure. I mean, from what we were capable of doing and from what we showed we can do um, to, to, what, to today, um, there's no other way to describe it than as a failure. We didn't do what we were supposed to do. We started the season great and we finished the season terrible. So that's, it is what it is. Hey, second straight year, though, that the Cardinals have petered out down the stretch. Remember last year? Last year, they were 6-3 and three after the Hale-Murray game. Yeah. And went 2-5 and five the rest of the way. Look at 2019, 3-3-1. Three, three and one. Hey, look at this. Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, rookie. Hey, we're, we're at 500 through seven games. 2-7 and seven down the stretch. Hey, Chris, Chris, I'm not making any prediction. I'm not saying what should happen. Yeah. All I know is this. The Arizona Cardinals have been around for over 100 years. They were the Phoenix Cardinals. They were the St. Louis Cardinals. They were the Chicago Cardinals. They have never had a coach last longer than six years. Ken Wisenhunt and Jim Hannafin, the only two that made it six years. Bruce Arians didn't make it six years. He made it five. If I'm Cliff Kingsbury, I'm not bringing green bananas to the office today because he could be gone. He could be gone. Based on the history of the Cardinals, if I had to say yes or no, I'd say he's out. Just based on the history of the Cardinals. He entered the season on the hot seat. Clearly was on the hot seat. All the noise we were hearing from Arizona. Playoff team, playoff team, playoff team. Cliff, it's on you to take him to the playoffs. Well, he did, but he limped badly down the stretch and got his ass blown off the field by a division rival in a spot where they had won earlier in the year and and last year and the year before got his ass kicked every time he played the Rams I it it will not surprise me they squandered the first three years of Kyler Murray's career when they had him on the wage controlled salary under the CBA now they're gonna have to pay him although he didn't do much to make a case for a big contract last night for himself but the, the years are over of having Kyler Murray yeah, the on the cheap, un- unless you can convince him to wait another year. Like the Not that the Browns convinced Baker Mayfield, they just didn't sign him. And the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, that's a different dynamic altogether because they just couldn't get together on a contract. But the Josh Allen thing, if that happens after three seasons, well, you're going to have to come up with some other ways to keep some of your star players around or pay other star players because more money's going to your quarterback now. So, look, again, I, 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 we're just here to analyze the situation and inform people and prepare them for the things that may happen. Don't be surprised if Cliff Kingsbury gets fired today or tomorrow or Thursday. I don't know, however many days they have to evaluate. And this will be a real evaluation, not the fake, phony Texans. Let's just wait four days so it looks like we actually did an evaluation. This would be a real evaluation. The end result very well could be. They're looking for a new coach. I don't know if you want to look for a new coach when there's already eight jobs open, but it's a pretty attractive job because you have Kyler Murray. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I, a lot jumps out to me. I, first off, he looked like a coach to me in the postgame press conference that was a little scared and had like the deer in the headlights. Like, I don't know what might happen now with the way we just played a football game there in the playoffs and the way we collapsed at the end. 
You know, I, I didn't. I mean, it was it was a shell shock. Even you could see it in that question. There's a few other ones too where I feel like he couldn't even answer it because he couldn't even come up with like just a you know a forceful answer to, to really like nail down the point he wanted to. I, I I would not be shocked, Mike. Like you said, if it was two days from now and they said Cliff Kingsbury was fired, I certainly think the hot seat conversation is going to go on here for the next few days. Yeah, I mean you said it. Late season collapses. We haven't seen the team really you know, improve in a lot of areas. He's supposed to be an offensive coach and the offense is good, but it's the second year in a row where really the third year in a row where they feast on the week for the most part. And it's the third year in a row for sure, Mike. And I know we had these conversations last year. I've done it a lot on my podcast. I've done it this year where again, it's an offense that just doesn't have a lot to offer. It doesn't. And when some of their, like, there's the screens and quarterback Kyler Murray scrambling doesn't work, the offense delivers nothing. It's simple. It's one of those, Mike, is, yeah, we get into week 10, it kind of shows up. Teams start to figure out, you know, their offense in general. I thought maybe they could get away with it this year because they were a little bit better at running the ball. They improved that screen game a little bit. So I went, well, maybe that'll keep people off their base offense a little bit. But you saw last night, I mean, that was – the Rams were in the huddle with the Cardinals. They might as well just been like, hey, hey, Cliff, what's the play you want to tell Kyler? Oh, okay. Hey, Kyler, they want you to drop back. We'll meet you back here in about one second and totally dismantle you and the offense and everything altogether. Last night was concerning the way they looked. It was concerning with the way they looked that they showed no creativity, no toughness on the football team. You said it. It's a talented roster. So you certainly don't expect to lay that kind of egg in that kind of playoff game. Kyler Murray's your pick, your guy. He looked horrible last night. Last night was the first night I went, oh, no, maybe Kyler Murray's size is a real issue against really good playoff quality defensive teams. He got swallowed up in the pocket. He couldn't. He can't see when the pockets around him are collapsing. He can't stand in there at times and make throws when he knows he's going to get hit because I don't think he can see. I don't think he could trust if his arm's going to get over the guy's helmet. And I think he's, of course, worried about his side and just getting his size and getting bamboozled by people that are much, much bigger than him. So uh, I, that was a lot there, but there's a lot, I think, to be concerned about a little bit with the way they've looked down the stretch the last two years. And that performance last night was crappy. That was sucky-ducky. That might have got the award for the worst performance of all the playoffs so far. And I know the Steelers laid an egg, but at least they fought and tried to do their best early on. The Cardinals, it was like, you guys look like crap from the first play of the game to the very last. Kyler Murray's 24 years old. He's got yeah. three NFL seasons, and he's not having the kind of experience that maybe he thought he would have when he made the – very high profile and dramatic contrived or otherwise choice between football and baseball. I've always kept an eye on the possibility that if his football career just doesn't go the way he wanted, guy was a top 10 draft pick. There was a game not that long ago that afterward he had an A's hat on and Cardinals fans used to freak out when they saw that A's hat. I think they've just gotten used to it now. Like when you slide your rear end into a hot bathtub, you eventually just kind of accept it and you get used to the heat. But, I, I look, you got to do a lot of soul-searching after this season because 
it was all going so well. This is it. This is the special season. We're 10 and 2. Everyone is finally acknowledging we're the best team in football. And then what the hell happened? The wheels came off. And they came Chris, off. The, the, the graphic that we showed, and I don't want to make this a Firecliff Kingsbury session, but we have to be fair. Others are held to a high standard. Others have been thrown out the door for less. Brian Flores, for crying out loud. When you see three straight NFL seasons of two and seven, two and five, one and five, what does that mean? We talk about this all the time. The code gets cracked. Whatever he's yeah, bringing to the exactly table right. after That's seven it. months of preparation for the season, they're not making changes. They're not self-scouting thyself. Sure. They're not pivoting to correct their own weaknesses and take advantage of the weaknesses. You know, one of the big things that came out of yesterday when we, we really drilled down, and I, I think we did a fairly decent job by our own relaxed standards on 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 the on looking at the Cowboys final play from every angle. Right. But you know, you've got the great coaches and you've got everybody else in the NFL. And the great coaches are obsessed with detail, obsessed with making their team better. Yeah. Obsessed with shoring up their weaknesses. Case in point, Golick and I were talking about this yesterday on PFTPM. The Larry Fitzgerald move that we saw throughout his career of hustling the ball to the center, to the official, right. when clock is ticking. You know, the best coaches in the NFL see that, and what do they do? They, they incorporate go, that. They tell their, their team, hey, look at this guy. Look right. what he's doing. Here's the video of it. Look what he does every time in the two-minute drill. We got to do this. Yes, no doubt. And if you're going to put all eggs on that play, if this is what your season is going to come down to, and that's the level of detail. You know, I was bouncing this off some people yesterday. I don't want to make this about the Cowboys, but my point is detail, detail, detail. obsession detail. with yes. detail, right. detail, detail, detail. Let's pronounce it every way that we possibly can. But but we, we, we're, we're getting into too much detail about how to pronounce the word detail. Um, you know, just get the hell out of the way. Of the official was one of the things I heard from somebody who, right. you know, is pretty adept at these things. Just get the hell out of the way of the official. Yeah. That's the most important part of the play. Get out of the way. You you need to know. And, you know, uh, you need to practice it. And another thing Golik and I were talking about last night, the idea that, you know, it can't all be on the coach. At some point, Peyton Manning has to show up and say, hey, we need to do this better. Hey, we need to do that better. Hey, maybe we should have uh, an umpire simulated on this play so we can practice it better and be ready for the actual game situation. It can't always be only the coach, but the the best coaches are obsessed with, with detail. And to get back to Cliff Kingsbury, you see that record down the stretch in three NFL seasons. Yeah. I don't see it. Code crack. I don't see that, the growth. You said it. It's That's regression. It. it is. It's regression. Yeah. His code is getting cracked and he ain't cracking anybody else's code. I, I think that's that's a fair way to say it. You know, again, you look, you go, well, I'm six out of the last nine football games they lose. You know, offensively really fell apart, you know, got dominated in some games. That that's what I think is concerning too. You know, whether you look back at like, hey, the Carolina Panthers coming to town in the Cam Newton game and dominating that football game, or you can go with like, again, Detroit, the way that looked. I mean, the winless Detroit Lions just absolutely stomped on Arizona that weekend. I mean, that's where the Colts, with all the injuries and COVID issues they have on, what was that, Christmas night, right? Uh, yes. All those issues. I, on the road, nonetheless, 
they outplay Arizona. It, it's it's the optics of it that are not going to look good too. And then you add on a week eighteen. Hey, wait! If we win this game, we could have a home playoff game and win the division. And they lay an egg to a team that's playing for nothing in the Seattle Seattle Seahawks. And the Seahawks kind of have their way with them throughout the football game. And then last night, oh, okay, fine. Hey, we still got in the playoffs. Hey, we're limping in there. We can kind of salvage this bad end of the season if we can just pull off a win or at least look good tonight. And, I mean, it just was at no point. I mean, really, it was first drive of the football game. Rams down, or, you know, early on, Rams down the field, touchdown. And Arizona just lived on their side of the field, could never flip field position, and never gave you a sense really, you know, after the first drive or two where you went, oh, it's close, they'll find something, they'll get something. I mean, there was no light at the end of the tunnel in any way. Every run was boom, stop at the line of scrimmage. Every pass was Kyler Murray. I don't know if anybody's open. I can't see. Blah, blah, blah. He couldn't run. He couldn't do anything. It's just the look and the optics of how it all crumbled that is going to be questioned. And then add on to like what you brought up earlier is, again, it's just there's, there's too much talent to have that type of collapse from that football team. And I think that's where Arizona, the Cardinals management, to your point, is going to have this question. They're going to have hot seat conversations here. You mentioned that Panthers blowout, and I can't help but wonder, because that's Matt Rule, who coached at Baylor and crossed paths with Cliff Yeah, that started the code cracking a little bit, right? That's my point. Yeah. Like, hey, all right, we got we got Cliff this week. I know exactly what he does. He's yeah. very predictable. I've seen it twice. I prepared for it. I've studied his film. I know what he's going to do. And, and 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 look, let's be fair. I haven't heard this from anybody. We're just trying to figure out how in the hell the wheels are coming off for Cliff Kingsbury every single year. And at some point, it's a trend. And at some point, the explanation is you are getting out coached. You are not paying attention to detail. You are not taking your team to the next level. You are not when the season gets to the point of maximum pressure and maximum film you have clues, you have tendencies, you have tells that are being exploited, and you're not doing the same thing. Yeah. So there are flaws yeah. in that coaching staff. Right. There are flaws in that program, and we'll see whether or not Michael Bidwill, Steve Kime. I don't look, and it's the other dynamic too, and it's different than what we talked about last week in Miami, where you know, maybe felt like Brian Flores was trying to parlay his success into maybe a little more say, which would have been good for the Dolphins. So others who were threatened by that turned on him and whispered into the ears of Stephen Ross to to get Flores out of there. But Michael Bidwell's sitting in that suite every game, not with Cliff Kingsbury. He's sitting there with Steve Kahn, the guy who built the team. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know what they're saying, but I know what I'd be saying if I built that team. Man, we got some good players out there. I don't know what the hell's going on. Huh. I don't know why they're not deploying these good players better than they are. Now, I will say, without without DeAndre Hopkins, that makes it a challenge. But at the same time, that look, you got a great quarterback. We saw them collapse with overcome. Hopkins last year. It didn't matter. You know, they, last at the end right, of last great. year, we, we broke down games at the end of last year. And Pete, you know, he's back in the studio here today. He'd tell you. How many times did we show a, a, a chart of DeAndre Hopkins' routes last year and go, look. It's he ran three routes in the football game. They dropped back forty-four times. He was in the same spot. He ran a hitch, a go, and a ten yard out, and that's all he did. And I think that speaks a little bit to what you're talking about here too. 
There's none of that. There's no curveball. There's no self-scout thyself during the season. There's no adding on to the offense in the offseason to go, wait, we got a new mantra here that you have to worry about when you defend us and we have a new angle of our offense. It's all of that, like you're talking about. And to the like you're right with the Panthers thing. Like, that's how code cracking goes in the NFL. Uh, you look at it and it has all the signs of that where, oh wait, the Packers beat them. Showed a few things, how to slow them down. Panthers come to town. Guy who's got knowledge of the offense and the rules and a Matt rule because he went against them in college. To your point, other teams now watch that game and they go, oh, wait, the Packers did this when they got in that formation. Oh, wait, and Carolina played it like that. Oh, man, they really had issues with that. And then teams continue to build off of that as they go and study. And it's got all the signs of that of the fact that there was no adjustment. Teams caught on to exactly what they wanted to do. A lot of replays last night where you look and you go, oh my gosh, the Rams are dropping to all the spots the Cardinals are trying to throw the football. It's like they knew where they were trying to get or attack their defense, and that's, that's where it's scary. And then, of course, when you have a quarterback who's got talent and you go, wait, they're doing – he's having a rough night, but they're doing nothing to help him. At some point when you go, hey, wait, we're not making any plays in the pocket. The pocket's collapsing. What element of the offense is now like, where's some bootlegs? Where's some, let's move the prop pocket and sprint out and he could set up and let's move the protection there to where now he could see. There was just never anything even last night to go, wait, okay, you did this. All right, I got this move. Here we go. Kept waiting for that and never, never even came close to happening. And yeah, look... I, I'm a huge Kyler Murray fan, but if you are going to be 5'11", and I'm not quite sure he's even 5'11", if you're going to be, because I'm 5'11", and I think I'm taller than You're now. taller and again, than him. I'm I mean, I, yeah, I'm, you're taller. I'm 5'11", and I'm taller than Kyler Murray, yeah. so he's not 5'11". Right. Shocker, shocker. The information on the stat sheet regarding the size or uh, the height or weight of a, of, a, of a quarterback or any other player may be off a bit, but um, you, you got to compensate for it, and what? To your point, where was the compensation yeah, that's where for the I lack of height me. last right. night? And if right. you're not going to run the ball, and if you're not going to have that 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 explosion that we see from him from time to time, we get used to see it. Is it wasn't that a night to unleash him just like Josh Allen no got doubt. unleashed? 26-yard run right. on the first drive. Right. Put, the, put the Patriots on their heels on Saturday night. That's the kind of thing when if you, if you unleash that and use it early in a playoff game – you really get the defense a little wobbly, and you get him thinking he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. What do you? What was it? Let me. I. I. I don't remember any. Like, oh wow, there goes Kyler Murray. He had two carries for six yards for crying out loud. No, no doubt. You can't have two carries for six yards. No. With the most, with the most dominant running quarterback in the NFL in a playoff game, single elimination, you cannot have two carries for six yards. You cannot go into that game saying. Tonight's the night that we make Kyler Murray a pocket passer. Get the hell out of here. I, I, hey, hey, Cliff, I like you. Nice guy. We had a couple of good interviews with him. Uh, you, he is. You, you better He's be great. You better that be way. glad it's Michael Bidwell and not Michael Florio who's making the decision today because <laughs> if it was my team, you'd be gone. Well, it, it just, you'd be gone. Yeah, it, it, yeah, there's, there's lack of answers. That, that's what we're talking about. And again, the defense didn't look a lot better either, right? I mean, we haven't even got to that aspect either. The Rams absolutely, you know, pushed them around and that was an ugly look too. There's no doubt. But yeah, the offense is the part of the team that's supposed to carry the football team. And again, I think this is where you get back into, you know, I was, Tariko was texting last night. He texted me a little bit during the game and he wanted, he was like, 
a little bit about like what's the deal with these spread offenses? What is the deal? He he kind of was like asking me about it. Like we're gonna we're gonna get to the divisional round and all these spread offense, running quarterback type of offenses, and none of them are here. And to me, it gets all to what we're talking about. It's too simple. Underneath the center, I mean, in the shotgun, it's, you know, doing this, and it's limited run plays. The back's offset to one side. It's like you're either running inside zone or they pull a guard, and the guy's not even running downhill, the running back, because he's running horizontal to the line of scrimmage. The pass games have nothing to offer because the pass game's totally predicated on this college premises of, wait, I have an awesome athletic quarterback, and as long as we run the ball a little bit, it'll be really simple on the outside to throw the ball against all these looks. And we see with all these offenses, none of them work. The only ones that are somewhat spread-like, right, are you people who could go, well, what about the Chiefs or what about the Bills? Yeah, but they're, they're based in NFL principles, Andy Reid, coming through the NFL, Brian Dayball too, and now they've sprinkled some spread stuff on top of their NFL basic offense. So it gives them that look. But these offenses, listen, I question them. It's every year we talk about it. You know, the running quarterback, the spread offense, all that, and every year we get to the Final Four and the quarterbacks that are in it are the ones who can stand in the pocket and make throws. Or we get to the Super Bowl and it's about the guys who can stand in the pocket and make throws and run the ball a little bit that way. And that's where I just question these offenses. There's just lack of questions and, I mean, answers and diversity and creativity with it. And uh, you saw all those issues kind of, you know, come to a pinnacle last night. Pete has mentioned in my ear on a couple of occasions while we've been discussing the coaching flaws with the Arizona Cardinals, something that I think deserves to be mentioned. Steve Kime has been the general manager of that team since 2013. He's been with the Cardinals since 1999 in a variety of capacities, worked his way up the ranks, hired Bruce Arians, although I don't know how much of that was hiring by Steve Kime. I think the team hired Kime and Arians at the same time. I don't think Kime was given the traditional GM keys to the car. You go hire the coach. Regardless, he's been there for Arians. He was there for Steve Wilkes, if you remember that one season of 3-13 sure. and 13 football yeah. that opened the door for Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray as well. They earned the number one pick in the draft thanks to the failed hiring of Steve Wilkes. And now Cliff Kingsbury, 24-24-1 through three seasons. Should Kime be around for a fourth head coach? That would defy the usual general manager life cycle to actually be there for four Coaches, although I still believe that the first one wasn't really a Kime hire, even if it wasn't, do you get three or were all your eggs in the Cliff Kingsbury basket? That's a fair question. Now, it is a he's fair been there question. so long, and I think he's so tied to Michael Bidwell yeah. that it's going to be hard for Bidwell to, to uncouple from Kime, but that that's a separate conversation for Bidwell to have with somebody other than Kime. If I am going to make changes, how high up the ladder do I go? I, I have a hard time sitting here and looking at Steve Kime and, and looking at him and blaming him. You know, I, Again, I know he's, he's, of course, influential in the hiring of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. And if ownership isn't happy about that, then, of course, Steve Kime deserves some of the blame there, too. No doubt about it. But, like, hey, they built <laughs> – excuse me. They built something with Bruce Arians. I mean, again – they were competitive. They were a good football team. This is the Arizona Cardinals. They don't have like a long-standing tradition of like 
domination or being consistently good in the NFL. They've done that. They had the Steve Wilkes year, right, which was a disaster. Kingsbury comes along. Hey, they're trying something new. They're relevant. The 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 product on the field is like there's a lot of good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm choking. I don't know what happened here. <laughs> Excuse me. But like that's that to me is where I go. I mean, let's look at it, Mike. He's done everything to put people on the field, in my opinion, to go, there's a lot of positives. I mean, again, they've tried to get the offensive line right. Some of it is good through the draft. Trading for Rodney Hudson. Trade for Zach Ertz. Got DeAndre Hopkins. Have A.J. Green. Drafted Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore. Chase Edmonds there. Drafted him. Got a James Conner. You know, defensively, the Buda Bakers, the Chandler Jones, they got a lot of good players on their team. It's not perfect, but I have a hard time looking at Steve Kime and going, man, he's really messed this up and that roster's crappy. When you look at what they did in the offseason, it's kind of like L.A. Rams light. It like, is a little, right? You know, right. They, they're splashing the pot with some star players, which, which makes it even more difficult to process. If you're Michael Bidwell, if you're a Cardinals fan, if you're anybody that's invested in any way in this team, to understand how we went from 10-2 and two to one and five. And that's what Bidwell needs to do over these next few days. The true evaluation, not the phony Houston Texans. Let's just wait four days so people think we actually evaluated David Culley, even though we hired him to fire him a year ago. This is a real evaluation. Why do we keep falling apart? How is this happening? And see, the problem is when you own a team, it's not like you can call another owner up and start seeking out advice. Not that they would hang the phone up on you or not that they would even lie to you. There's a pride among the oligarchs. There's a hubris among them that keeps them from ever showing any weakness, any flaw, any imperfection. You're not going to have Michael Bidwell calling up one of his peers slash competitors asking for advice on how to properly evaluate a coach. No. That's just another yeah. aspect of, of the NFL that I love because there's so much expertise out there, but you can't take advantage of it lest you be perceived an incompetent. So he's going to have to figure this out. And he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. He needs to ask the right questions, and he needs to search for the right answers. But I think the topics are obvious we have an issue here. Yeah, we have right, a problem here. Right. The team keeps falling apart. And my last point on Kime, I would want to know, and this reminds me of the conversation we had last week about the Colts and what Jim Irsay should do. I'd want to know who was Carson Wentz's champion before I start deciding who to give pink slips to in the organization. Right. Who, who, whose bright idea was it to go after a guy who couldn't make it in the Big 12? Who's, whose bright idea was it? to think that this was going to be Vince Lombardi. Again, he hasn't been horrible, but he's 24-24-1. and one. And I think when they hired Cliff Kingsbury, the goal was not to go 500. You got Kyler Murray coming through the door. You got a team that got a taste of what it was like to be competitive with Bruce Arians as the coach. I don't think 24-24-1 was the goal for the first three seasons under Cliff Kingsbury. No, I, absolutely not. And you said it, it's good. It's, it's not horrible. There's a lot of like positives. But again, I think it's about the optics of it. And like you're talking about, those are the concerning things where you just go, wait, 
Are we going to get over the hump to get in the playoffs and actually be a contender or a threat to do something with the current formula? And then when you go, wait, we have an offensive coach where, you know, again, we've seen for two years in a row, three years in a row, where the team is absolutely falling apart down the stretch of the season. I mean, last year was worse than this year. I mean, last year was, was horrible too. I mean, what they lose last year? Seven out of the last ten? And beat some crappy football teams to, or, other than the Bills. I think it was the Eagles and the Giants last year that they, they took advantage of late in the year. Uh, it's, it's that. It's the way it's looked. And then you're supposed to be an offensive coach and your offense just completely fizzles out down the stretch. That's where it's going to be. That's where it's tough on Cliff Kingsbury. And that's where he's going to have questions from ownership and time and all the people that are evaluating this is that aspect that was that's supposed to be the bread and butter you know we got all these weapons and draft picks and all this money and yet that's what we got last night barely over 100 yards throwing the football you know can't run the ball at all show zero toughness and moving the line of scrimmage just get bullied from the get-go that those are all things that are that are tough to swallow, and that's where it just looks uh, not so great for for the Cardinals. If that job were to come available, where would it land in the pecking order of the eight jobs that are currently open? Ooh, I would think that might be number one. Really, that that's really maybe the way to talk about it. But I think I think you're right. I think it's probably number one. You know, yeah, there's. There's, I mean, they obviously need some interior defense alignment and guys like that that could stop the run and show some physicality, but there's not a lot on that team that you look at to where you go, wow, they need to change things. Yeah, offensive line's got to get better, but I think a little bit of the offensive line issues too are just the attitude and the way the team's coached on the offensive side of the ball. There's never any like real you know, grit and toughness and we're going to be tough and just run the ball and do that. That's not what they are. It's always like, let's get in space because we're fast and let's get in space. Uh, I would say it's the top, Mike. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, the top. Are you going to put it there? I, I would put it close to the top. It's right up there with the Broncos. The At least Broncos. you know who the owner is and you know who the quarterback is That's right. in Arizona. That's right. Although after last night, you got to do a little soul searching on whether or not that's the right way to go. I will say this. I will say this. And I love a good story. And I love something that becomes compelling and dramatic and fascinating. And there's a guy out there who's waiting for a phone call. You bring him back to the NFC West and have him face the 49ers twice a year? Yes, please. Your buddy. Say hi to your dad. He's waiting. He's waiting for somebody to call. He's yeah. up there in Ann Arbor suffering through the winter. I know, but oh. his his old uh, his bat uh, his boring old offense of full back to the right and <laughs> Kyler Murray underneath the center <laughs> handing the ball. That ain't what they want to do or they're built right now. But hybrid. I mean I understand what hybrid. you're talking about. Yeah, hybrid. I'm just saying it would yeah. be compelling if right, he would come right. back. And yeah. we haven't talked about it here. We mentioned it on Football Night in America over the weekend. He he is waiting. And he's content to stay at Michigan. He's waiting for the opportunity. He wants to win a Super Bowl. And I think it's as simple as my brother has one. I want one. And I'm not going to rest until I get one. 58 years old. He wants a Super Bowl. And it's a question of finding the right opportunity. I just think it would be yeah. high drama if Jim Harbaugh would come back and coach the Cardinals against the Rams twice a year, the Seahawks twice a year, what's your deal, Pete, and the 49ers twice a year. That would make the NFC West the most compelling division in football by far. And uh, look, I, uh, hey, Cardinals, if the first question is, are you content with the guy you have? Second question is, 
who else can you get? And it's that whole bird in the hand analysis. Yeah, no doubt. Bird in the hand. What, how can we get better? Can I do better than what I'm currently doing? That's what the question is. Well, who would I get? And a lot of stuff happens back channel to find out who's interested. But I think if that job would become available, Chris, like you said, a lot of people would be interested because all of a sudden that changes everything. That changes everything. For the, for the candidates that are out there scoping out the chairs, and we know the chairs are going to get feel, filled with coaches' rear ends soon. Uh, once it starts, it seems like it's one after another after another. That, that becomes the prime seat or one of the prime seats if it would become available. I, I think it does. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I just, I just look at it and I just think, you know, again, like you said, quarterbacks in place. There's a lot of pieces in place. You got some young receivers. Defense has got some young talent, no doubt about it, to play with there. Uh, it's, you know, and, 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 you know, again, even Vance Joseph with the defense, he's creative. He does a lot of good things. Uh, you know, even in all the bad spots they were in last night, I mean, they were, they were hanging in there to a degree. They were, but like, yeah, I don't know. If you're Arizona, that's the thing you got to, if you do decide, wait, maybe we need to entertain who we're going to hire. You got to figure out what direction you want to go. Who's that going to be? Guys like Brian Dayball and Byron Leftwich, who I think are clearly more creative than Cliff Kingsbury or the people that are on that offensive staff in Arizona, will be able to offer more offense to a football team like that. And and of course we know, you know, with a guy like Dayball, he knows how to develop young quarterbacks and fit things around him the way it should for that particular player. Leftwich with being with Bruce Arians, come on. I mean, that offense in Tampa, it's its arguably the best offense in football schematically. I don't even care about the results, the yards, or anything like that. They do everything. They're explosive throwing the ball down the field. They have the one of the best screen games in football, and they have a run game that you can't disrespect the traditional way either. So uh, there are some options out there, I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, one other thing to point out before we go, Buda Baker, who had oh, the scary man. injury, taken to the hospital last night, he tweeted that he's doing good, which is great news. And it's great to see the precautions that are taken to make sure that a player is properly handled, properly cared for, and properly diagnosed. But obviously a concussion, uh, big collision with Cam Akers, but Buda Baker doing well. So that's good news for the Arizona Cardinals and for Baker. Let's go ahead and take a break. You know, we talked about the concept of the bird in the hand. It felt for a while yesterday like the Raiders were going to keep the bird in the hand while they actually interviewed for his replacement. But ultimately, Mike Mayock fired by Mark Davis. We'll talk about that, what it means, and where the Raiders go from here when PFC Live continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. 
Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Mike Mayock, general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders for the last three seasons, was relieved of his duties late Monday afternoon. Right around 6 p.m. Eastern time, the news hit. More than an hour after reports emerged from NFL media that the Raiders had requested permission to interview Patriots executive Dave Ziegler and Colts assistant GM Ed Dodds, which is as back-assward as you can be, and it was a horrible look for Mark Davis. Horrible look. I'm sorry, I'm not going to mince words here. That's a bullcrap move to allow any evidence to get out that you are requesting to interview general manager candidates without announcing. I don't care if Mike Mayock knew about it privately. It is a public embarrassment to him to have people like us and fans wondering what in the hell is going on. They got a general manager. They're requesting permission to interview candidates for a general manager job that isn't open what in the wide world of sports is happening that's a bad look that's an embarrassment for the Raiders organization and that's directly on Mark Davis yeah it is it's not a good look it's certainly not I mean it's yeah it's just you said it's it's unprofessional you know it's it's for a guy especially in Mike Mayock you know again who's who's gone through a lot and was a big part, I think, of steadying the ship there a little bit as far as some of the emotional things that team had to go go through. It wasn't the easiest of situations, but you're right. That was below the belt. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, first thing I thought of when I saw it, wait, what? Wait, I wait. Have they? I started looking through pro football talk, going, wait, did I miss a headline that they already let go of Mayock when I first saw that stuff? And I, I was looking around really all the sports websites going, did I miss this? And then, of course, you know, about an hour and a half later when I'm back on the computer and checking things out again, I saw that they released him. But, yeah, that's, that's you know, backwards for sure. Totally backwards. And May- Mayock got the job similar to the way that John Lynch got the job in San Francisco five years ago. If it's already been five years. Has it been five years? My God, it's been five years. Has it been five or four? How many years have they been there? Is this four for the Raiders and, and Shanahan? Oh, How long Shanahan sorry. been in in San Francisco? This is yes. This, this is five. This is four. Oh, this is this, this is five. five. Wow. I think it's five. Five. Yeah. Five. All right. Thank you. We should have checked our timeline ahead of time. I didn't know I was going to go this route though, yeah. or I would have. When you give the coach all the power, yeah, you limit your universe of general managers because if you can't offer final say over the roster, if you can't offer final say over the draft. You can't pluck someone who is an executive under contract with another team, absent the permission of the team. Not many of the teams are going to say, go ahead and take our guy, even though it's basically a lateral move. That was a problem for Shanahan. That's why he listened to Lynch when Lynch all of a sudden decides, hey, I'm going to be the next guy to go from the broadcast booth straight to the GM chair. And for the most part, it's worked. Mayock was the hand-picked table setter for Gruden when Gruden was clearly in charge. Even though he never owned it the way he should have publicly, he was clearly in charge. He needed someone to set the table, and that became Mayock. And I think there would probably be, Chris, different opinions on how much of these picks that 
haven't worked out over the last so. three years right. were Mayock and how many were Gruden pulling his trump card saying this is this is my team this is who I want this is who we're taking that, that's why it's a hard time hard thing to like evaluate and make Mike Mayock it, it is or hard to like sit here and go well I understand it you know yeah I understand it at a base level when you look at it and you go you know again out of all the teams in the playoffs in, in my opinion the Raiders are the least talented team I mean really Again, who who are we talking about that are necessarily like blue chip players on the Raiders where we go, oh man, and that one unit they got, whoa, watch out. So you want to blame Mike Mayock because he has the GM, you know, phrase in front of his name, but the point you make is real where I go, I don't know. I mean, was he just like you're saying, setting the table and then Gruden was making the pick? Uh, I, I don't know how that went down or how they divvied the power there, but that certainly is a part of like our job and, is, and we don't know. But all we do know is that, yeah, it's a team that Mayock's been there for three years and I don't come away going, oh, wow, like the future is so bright or wow, they're so talented. You know, there's been some good picks, but man, there's been a lot of underwhelming. They had all those picks from the Khalil Mack trade and all that. That was supposed to rebuild the team and it's kind of been, meh. You know, it's good, but eh. Uh, so they haven't, like, you know, excited the fan base that way. But I think that's the million-dollar question. And the thing I keep going back to, Mike, even with all this, is like, all right, despite all these things we're talking about, is it Gruden, is it Mayock? Well, one thing we do is we go, wait, I, it's, it's, it's a good team, but there's nothing great on it. And that, to me, bolsters more of the argument for Rich Bisaccia to go, he should be the head coach. Look, I mean, all the issues he had to deal with, your team's not that overly talented, and the way they finish the season and then go into the playoffs and have a chance to win or tie that game and send it to overtime, you know, he wasn't exactly coaching a team that's sitting there, you're going, oh, wow, they're a talented, really good football playoff team. No, there was questions about them. We were all going, damn, the Raiders got in the playoffs. That was kind of a miracle, I think, the way we looked at it in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the reality here. After Gruden left, and we know what happened, we know how it happened, and we know what the consequences were, Mayock helped stabilize things. Yeah. Rich Bisaccia helped stabilize things. They worked and climbed and fought and got to the playoffs and lost by only seven points against a Bengals team that seems more than seven points better than the Raiders, so that's right. I, I that that that's why I was even a little more pissed yesterday to see the word get out of the candidates to be interviewed before it was announced that Mike Mayock wouldn't be back. That's just a horrible, horrible look, and it shows zero gratitude for a guy who had to deal with a lot of s dash dash t over the final few months of the season, and still help the team get to the playoffs. Now, Basaccia had more to do with it. What does a general manager really do during the season other than churn the bottom of the roster? But still, you're there, you stabilize, you lead, you assist, you serve, and you help the organization through one of its darkest times of the last generation, if not longer than that. It just feels like Mark Davis didn't show the right gratitude toward Mike Mayock by you. creating this you. bizarre spectacle that played out in real time for an hour yesterday where we're saying, why are they interviewing general manager candidates when they have a general manager? Now, they technically don't have a coach because Rich Basaccia's time as the interim coach ended when the season ended. 
There's been a push from within the organization, specifically the locker room, for Basaccia to get the job. Here's a little bit of Basaccia from yesterday before Mayock was fired. Because, Chris, I don't think Mayock getting fired is good news for Basaccia. I'm but a, let's hear from Basaccia based on his conversations with Davis. Um, Mark and I have, have had some conversations. Uh, there's due process. He has to interview um, some other candidates, as I, I, I well know. Um, I'm very respectful of the process, um, what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to work. And uh, I think we'll be in con constant conversation and we'll certainly talk again before the week is over. I think we can all think that he's the right guy. I've, I've never seen someone with the ear of the locker room, not just one player, not just one side, but everybody, you know. Um, He's proven, um, you know, that he, he, people listen to him. And not just people, but our team listens to him. And the fact that that staff kept everything together and kept us competitive and kept us winning, finding ways to win football games, I think that's what our organization is about, right? Yeah, look, Derek Carr and the players want Rich Passaccia, and they're not afraid to say so publicly. It puts Mark Davis in a really tough spot because if you don't hire Passaccia and you hire somebody else, that guy on his way through the door has extra baggage, has an extra challenge on top of everything else. And, yeah, the new coach is always going to have to to get the attention and the affection and the respect of the players on the way through the door. But when you got guys in that locker room who may be a little salty, and we know there's going to be turnover, but still, there's going to be guys back that played for Versace. There's going to be guys that aren't going to be as accepting, and they're going to be a little skeptical. Now, look, it's on them to be professionals and accept the decisions made by ownership, but I think it's got to be a factor for Mark Davis. But the fact that Mayock is gone, as I said before, we heard from Versace and Derek Carr, the fact that Mayock is gone tells me Versace isn't getting that job. That it tells would, me Mark Davis is going to hire yeah. a GM who's then going to hire the coach. Yeah. And somebody who's walking through the door isn't going to give a crap about what Basaccia did the last three months of the season. I, I, I mean, that, that's the way it looks like it's shaping up. I, I would agree with you. you know, again, we don't know that, but yeah. I, I think if you made me bet and go, wait, a week from now, is Basaccia still the head coach? Yeah, and oh, all right, wait, Mayock's not there. They're going to get a new GM. I would probably say no. No, I don't, it doesn't look like it's going that direction. I, I would say be careful about that. Again, this is something Mark Davis needs to really think about because, one, like you talked about, you made all the points. You know, you heard me say on Saturday, Basaccia to all the coaches I was ever with, other than Mike Tomlin's the best communicator I was ever around. I mean, he's, he's that kind of guy. Uh, you heard it from Derek Carr there. He's got the ear of everybody in that locker room. He has the special Midas touch with guys. He's got that way, just like a Mike Tomlin, where they can mother F you and tell you some bad things, but do it in a way where you're like, he's doing it because he cares about me and he wants me to get better. And it's not like malice or like to the point where he's just degrading me as a human being. That's where he's got a really great touch. He understands how to manage the football game. We saw that throughout down the stretch, you know, and then... Adding on to that, I just look at it and go, we just talked about the roster isn't like overly talented. The positive things I look at the Raiders a little bit is the coaching staff. Olsen's a good offensive coordinator. He's a lot like Gruden. We saw they got all the answers you need to execute an offense the right way without really being that talented once again. No marquee receiver, offensive line, kind of a work in progress. Defensively, not many household names or superstars. Max Crosby, some people know Yannick Ngakwe. Gus Bradley's a really good coach, the inventor of the Seattle scheme. Nobody coaches it better. 
man, do you want to upset the apple cart and do that? You know, to me, those are some of the positives of the Raiders. You know, you add some players to the equation for these coaches, and I go, whoa, they might be able to be something. So that's where I, I look at Mark Davis and go, he's got to think long and hard about this one because of the effects in the locker room like you brought up. But also, there's some things in place there where I'd go, you sure you want to blow this up? Really? You sure you want to do that? Hey, and uh, this gets back to one of the things I find most fascinating about the National Football League multi-billion dollar organizations that are in place to put the best possible product on the field, make the most money as possible, well-oiled machines, ultimately owned and operated by a system that is essentially a monarchy. Mark, how did you become the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders? Well, my dad owned the team and he died and I took over. No qualifications, objectively. No reason to think he has any idea what he's doing. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry if people don't like that. But it's true. There's no reason to think that just because Mark Davis's dad was a successful owner of an NFL team, that Mark Davis is going to know what the hell he's doing. He's owned the team for a decade now. What have they done over the course of the last decade? And so we look at times like this for evidence that he knows what he's doing. And he's kind of a funny character. He's different. He's a maverick. But that doesn't mean he knows how to run a football team. That doesn't mean he knows how to make these decisions. We talked earlier about attention to detail when it comes to coaching. Back to the window of 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern on Monday when they're interviewing or requesting permission to interview GM candidates while they still have a GM. That is the hallmark of what we call a chicken bleep operation. It just is. And I'm sorry, Raiders fans, if you don't like it. I'm sorry, Raiders organization, if you don't like it. Don't be a chicken bleep operation, and we won't say it. It's embarrassing to the shield to have things like this happen. So Mark Davis is your guy who's going to shepherd the team through this time. And it would be nice to hear from him at some point. Wouldn't it inspire confidence in the process if he would do a press conference explaining how they got to this point and where they plan to go from here? Wouldn't that be helpful to the fans to have some sense that whatever momentum was gained over the course of the last three months isn't just going to be pissed away. It just feels like it's going to be pissed away. And and this I'm back in the mode I was in last week where I feel like I'm the defender of every fan base where you need to expect more, you need to demand more because at the end of the day, you can't get rid of your owner. So just pressure him to be better. Force him to be better. Ask him to be better. I, I mean, I, I hear you. I do. You know, again, Hey, most of these owners aren't qualified to make these decisions. I know. So I know. I mean, that's just what, I know. It's, it is what I'm it is. Whether he's they just were, the one who's on the tee right now. I know. Stephen Ross, now, Stephen Ross at least bought his team. Well, he yeah. I, you know, yeah. Inherited, bought, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it's still, yes, it's a lot of them get bad information. The people they talk to don't lead them the right way. Yeah, they don't handle it the right way themselves because like what you talked about, there's an arrogance. Wait, I was good in this field, so I should be able to just come over here and be good at this, even though I got no prior knowledge, nobody's taught me anything, whatever. So that's those are all those the issues there we see. But I, I hear you, and I think you you make a good point in the fact that, hey, him having a press conference talking about the state of the union of the football team a little bit, that might go over well with Raiders fan base, certainly. It's a shaky time. You don't know where the hell things are going right now. There's no doubt about that, um, but it's certainly one to you know keep an eye on here. It's 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 a job that I I think is going to be coveted. Certainly, there's still some things in place to like. It is the Raiders. 
You know, it's it's a, it's it's a marquee organization in our league with an awesome stadium, facility, everything that way, and you know, a canvas there that's not blank, but some pieces, and you can build off of it to go. Wait, we got some things here to where a year or two we could really be something with with what we got in place already. I used the Ferrari example last week. I thought of a better one since then. These really rich folks go out and buy super yachts, and that's fine. You want to spend a quarter of a billion dollars on a super yacht, God love you. You're employing the people who build it. You're employing definitely the people who run it because the bill per week is astronomical just to maintain one of those things with the crew that's on there. You want to get a super yacht? Fine. The difference is the NFL is the race of the super yachts. You're racing against the other yacht owners, and people give a damn about how those races turn out. That's where the obligation becomes more than just to yourself. You want to have a crappy yacht that can't beat any other yacht in a race if nobody cares? Fine. Too many people care. You're relying on people to pay money. You're relying on people to be invested, to watch the games on TV, to buy the jerseys and the hats. You need them to be excited about it. And that's why I feel like some of these owners need to be held accountable because there is no process for holding them accountable. Fire the coach. Fire the GM. Cut the player. Do this. But the owner's still there. It's the Jed York quote from six years ago. Can't fire the owner. Well, but you can at least least try to tell the owner that – you know, like the emperor who was riding buck naked down the horse or down the street on a horse or down the horse on a street. Maybe you should cover up. Maybe you should do things a little better. And that's all we're trying to do. This is a free service for Mark Davis to get your house in order because I have a feeling whatever they did good this year, the last three months, great story. I have a feeling they're going to be back to square one and all that goodwill is going to be squandered because it feels like we're starting down that path. All right, let's take a break. Speaking of goodwill being squandered, uh, let's talk about the Cowboys and the aftermath of the game. Mike McCarthy, is he safe? And Dak Prescott, is he uh, hearing any criticism? Because maybe he is for his comments after the game about the fans that threw things at officials. More PFT Live right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 